Let us pray. Gracious God, who loves us more than we can ask for or imagine, send your Holy Spirit to dwell here with us, so that only your word may be spoken, and failing that, so that only your word may be heard. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. Happy Pentecost. Today is the Feast of Pentecost, one of the three most important days in the church year. You have Christmas, you have Easter, and you have Pentecost, the Holy Trinity of feast days. It is as important as those, though it doesn't quite get as much uh, um, uh, celebration often as those do. But for the church, it is just important. Today is the day we often call the birthday of the church. What do we mean by that? We mean that on this day, about 2,000 years ago, the church began. Before this, the disciples um, had been following Jesus, and then he died, and he rose, and they had all kinds of encounters with him, and they're trying to figure out what all of this means, and he ascended, and they're still trying to figure out what all of this means. But then on this day, at this point, they're all keeping it to themselves, right? They're not really being the church. But on this day, on the Feast of Pentecost, which means 50, that's what the word penta Right? Pentecost means 50, 50 days after Easter. But actually, Pentecost is already a feast day. It was 50 days after Passover. It was a Jewish holiday, um, a harvest holiday that celebrated the giving of the law to Moses. And so the disciples and Jews from around the world were gathered there in Jerusalem to celebrate Pentecost when this remarkable thing happened that we heard about in our reading from Acts of the Holy Spirit coming down and uh, lighting on the disciples like tongue of flames. And there's been a rushing wind when the Spirit comes. And the Holy Spirit comes and empowers the disciples, enlivens the disciples, to finally go do what it is that Jesus had told them to do. To go into the world and proclaim the good news, to preach the gospel, to make disciples, to be Christ's body. Christ has no body now but yours. To be Christ's body in this world. To do the things that Christ did. And from this moment, 3,000 people are baptized on this day after they hear about Jesus. On this moment, they start gathering together, continuing the apostles' teaching and fellowship in the breaking of bread and in the prayers, as the book of Acts says. On this day, they become the church, a group of people with a purpose and a mission in this world. And so we celebrate this moment. The first half of the church year has been following Jesus on his incarnate journey. We talked about this a bit last week when we were talking about Ascension Day, how Ascension is the end of that journey. Jesus came down at Christmas, then went on down into death, and then he started coming up in the resurrection, then all the way back up in the ascension. And the disciples, during that whole journey, are there with Jesus once he starts his ministry in adulthood. The disciples are there, they're with Jesus. And they and we are following Christ's body on that incarnate journey, seeing where it's going, learning from it. But here at Pentecost, the second half of the church year, it shifts. And now 
It is about the disciples who are empowered to go be Christ's body in this world. Now, of course, that means during this year we're going to keep learning about Jesus because we've got to figure out what Jesus was all about. We have to understand what Jesus is all about. We have to keep learning from Jesus if we're going to be his body in this world. Because to be Christ's body means to be his loving hands and heart, to be the feet that carry the love and compassion and grace and mercy to people in need. We've got to keep learning about what it is that Jesus taught and how he healed people and how he nourished people. Because we have to go do those things as well if we are going to be Christ's body in this world. But there is a bit of a shift, a shift from focusing on Jesus' journey to now taking that journey and seeing how it is that we are going to be that body in this world. And that's what Pentecost really is, is all about. How it is that we are empowered by the Holy Spirit as well. For the Holy Spirit did not just come down 2,000 years ago. The Holy Spirit continues to come down to us, to empower us, to enliven us, to comfort us, to support us, to care for us. The Holy Spirit continues to come down. One of the times the Holy Spirit came down was at your baptism. The Holy Spirit came to you and pulled you into the body of Christ. Have you be reborn by the Spirit as he poured water over you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit? At that baptism, we made several promises. If you're old enough, you made promises on your own. If you're younger, your godparents make promises and your parents make promises on your behalf and promise to help teach you about those promises. And in a few minutes, we are going to renew those promises, renew our baptismal covenants. We start with a fairly simple question. Do you reaffirm your renunciation of evil and renew your commitment to Jesus Christ, to which we all say, I do? And then we will have three questions which are about the nature of God. Do you believe in God the Father? Do you believe in Jesus Christ, the Son of God? Do you believe in God the Holy Spirit? And our answer to each one of these questions is the Apostles' Creed broken out in parts. Do you believe in God the Father? I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. Do you believe in Jesus Christ, the Son of God? I believe in Jesus Christ's only Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary, etc. and so on. Do you believe in God the Holy Spirit? I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting. These responses are important. They tell us about who God is. But I think the most important part of these is the word believe. Often we think about belief in God. It's kind of a really simple thing of kind of do we think that God exists? But that's not really what the creed is asking. It's not what the baptism promises are about. It's not do you believe that God the Father exists? This is uh, belief more in the sense of um, like when you tell your kid, I believe in you, 
right before they go out there on the stage for a play or out on the field for a soccer game. It's that kind of belief. It's that confidence and that trust sense of belief. Do you believe, do you have confidence in, do you have trust in God the Father? Yes, I have a confidence in the God who made the entire world. Do you believe in, do you have confidence in, do you trust God who came down as Jesus Christ? Yes, this is the God that I trust, who came down to live our life, to be one of us, and to bring us back up to God. Do you have confidence in God the Holy Spirit? Yes, I put my trust in God who continues to work in this world through the communion of saints, through the church, continuing to be here with us. I give my confidence over to this God. The word here, remember the creed was originally written in Greek. The word here, the Greek word here that gets translated as believe literally means to give one's heart to. So another way you could think about this is, do you give your heart over to the God who made the world, the God who came down to be here one of, as one of us, and the God who continues to work in this world? And after we say all that, we say the Apostles' Creed in parts, we reaffirm, we, uh, we uh, proclaim who it is, the God, that we give our confidence over to, the next five questions are asking us, so what? What does it mean for our lives that we put our confidence in, that we give our heart over to this God? So we make a series of promises of what the implications are of this affirmation of faith. We're going to continue in the apostles' teaching and fellowship in the breaking of bread and in the prayers, just like the first uh, earliest members of the church did, as we read in the book of Acts. We are going to try not to do bad things, right? But whenever we do, not if we do, whenever we do, because we're going to screw up, we're going to say we're sorry, we're going to repent, and we're going to come back, and we're going to try again. We promise to proclaim by word and example, so important to remember, but our very lives are a proclamation. Whatever we do in our life can never be separated from the fact that we are followers of Jesus Christ, that we are Christians, that we are part of the body of Christ. Our lives are a witness, an example to this world. And we're going to proclaim through our words and through our example, through our lives, the good news of God in Christ. And then fourth, we promise that we're going to seek and serve Christ in all persons, loving our neighbor as ourselves, those two parts of this promise are those wonderful passages from Scripture, right? Like Matthew 25, in which Jesus says, I was hungry and you gave me food, I was thirsty and you gave me drink. And people say, well, when did we ever see you hungry or thirsty? And Jesus says, whenever you do it to the least of these, you do it to me. Jesus is in, Christ is in other people, in the hungry, in the thirsty, in the stranger, in the prisoner, in the sick, in the naked, Jesus is in those people. And so we're supposed to seek Christ in other people. And to love our neighbors ourselves, coming from the greatest commandment. What's the greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. Love your neighbor as yourself. On these two hang all the law and the prophets. We promise here to love our neighbor. 
So seek and serve Christ in all persons, loving our neighbor as ourselves. That's the fourth promise. And then finally, the fifth promise is a strive for justice and peace among all people, respecting the dignity of every human being, to respect that image of God in every person, that image of God in which everyone was made, as we learn in the creation story. We are to respect the dignity of all people. And this is, are the promises that we make at baptism. This is what it means to live in life empowered by the Holy Spirit. This is what it means to be Christ's body in this world. Now, when you think about it, these promises are rather audacious, aren't they? I mean, who can do any of this? And so, in every single response, we don't say, yeah, of course, I can do that. We say, I will with God's help, because we need God's help to do it. My friends in Christ, on this Pentecost day, remember how the Holy Spirit came down to empower and enliven the disciples on that Pentecost day 2,000 years ago. But don't stop there. Remember that the Holy Spirit continues to come down. The Holy Spirit came down at your baptism to pull you into this life. And the Holy Spirit continues to come and to encourage you, to support you, to empower you, to do this work, to be Christ's body in this world, that body of Christ that we have been following in the first half of the church here. Now it is time for us to live it, to be Christ's body, and all of the grace and mercy and love that that entails. Amen.